Hash House and Circle Up. Welcome to On On, the Hash House Harrier podcast for interviews, history, and stories. I'm your host, Ra. Well, we'll pick up a discussion with Higgins talking about the most recent Eurohash in Prague, the next Eurohash with Neptunus in 2023, and the future of Interhash and hashing in general. More with Higgins. Uh, let's talk about Interhash. You've thought a lot about organizing events. You have written down lessons learned and have a guidebook that you offer to organizers. I know you've, yes, worked, with, you've worked with Nibbles on the upcoming Interhash and offered to help pass on the experience. But what about Interhash are we looking at as it's changed over the years? Things that prop maybe need to address? And what do you think is the future of Interhash in this different world? I'm waiting to see... Now, the reason in Trinidad, because I think that's probably the future. If you look at it, I mean, there was a time when, you know, you were 50 years old, you're director in a company, and barely people were working for you. So you have plenty of time to do all the stuff not related to your job. I remember when you Ryan deliver, you said he got so close to being fired <laughs> because his big boss came to visit, and the office was full of Intash paraphernalia and two secretaries that hired for Intash. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's more and more difficult to find people who want to spend the hundreds or thousands of hours uh, for organizing things like that. And the new generation are most stressed with work. I believe also the unfortunate people are getting more individualistic. Actually, uh, I heard about the bit of Trinidad before their bit, because I was in the Caribbean a few years before, and someone said, yeah, they think about doing this, but I just had a meeting with them, and uh, I told them, all the organized logistics, and they say, oh, no, we cannot do that. And eventually, I believe it's because from a rugby club, they met a girl who actually, she's a serious party girl. Uh, she's into rugby, and she's a professional, even organizer on the island. Then she was introduced to hashing. She thought, okay, I don't really have time for that. And she came, I believe, to Bali for the mm-hmm. internet. And then she has just a great time saying, if you have a budget to organize it, I can do that as a professional organizer with the advantage that, People who drinks a lot, rugby supporters, you know, we have all the contacts on the island for venues, logistics and everything else. And eventually that was happening. So technically, it's not the local hash organizing the intash. It's a private company doing it on request on the local hash. So the advantage, you don't, you don't have to do all your rookie mistake when you do it yourself, because every time it's different people involved and you already all have all the useful contacts. You know which company you can rely on and which one you can't. And I would say that's a huge game changer in terms of how much time you need to spend on it. Then the only thing is, of course, you have to reflect that on the budget. We look at that option very early for Brussels, but it would have cost, I think, 100,000 euros, which have meant 20% more budget. And we thought, do we want to spend that money? And eventually we thought, no, we want to learn something different from our job. And <laughs> I said, okay, I would, I would take one year off to do that. Because I cannot do that having a full-time job payment. But it's restretching your limits. So I believe having someone who has the vision, the ID, and can tell a professional company, okay, this is what the, the hash one. The hash is the one a bus to when you visit two wineries in five days because there's other you know, delicacy, local delicacy or special things. They want to focus on those. And if you have someone, a professional, even organizer, that get it and say, okay, and then come to the hash a few times, basically come back because they like it, then you have a perfect mix. And from what I've heard, because I was in Trinidad two months before the initial date, and I talked a lot with, with Nikki Noodles, I believe it would be probably in some organization would be an exceptional interhash. And we might even learn more to 
to update my book of you no know, how to make it easy to organize or less stressful to organize such a big event. Yeah, you went to the Eurohash 2021 in Prague recently, right? Yeah. That was also a little different because Sloppy Stool pretty much kind of a one-man show, and it wasn't hosted by Prague. Yes, and it was completely different, and it was not kind of. It was a one-man show. I met him a few years before. He must have been 18 or 17 on, on the weekend organized by Norwegian. And he said, at that time, he said, like, oh, I will put a bit, and my hash will help because I'm the GM. And I warned him, say, well, such a big weekend, what's going to happen they're going to kick you out as GM because they don't want to be stuck into something <laughs> big for them. And guess what happened? Exactly that happened. So that was the first part. And at that time, you already had the vision. Each trail will finish in a brewery. So we had been thinking a lot. But then what happened is that a lot of people were supposed to check their trail in Easter, except that there was still they couldn't get into the country because of the epidemic. So in the end, you look at all the trains been laying in the past. Wrecking all of them themselves within two or three months. And then that the information for the hares who were coming to this trail for their first time the day before when they have to lay it. That was impossible to do otherwise because of the lockdown. Uh-huh. And I discovered actually, I'm not sure if completely human because they had this incredible stamina and to deliver all these things. And the last minute when he saw like, he had a background of 600 mails to reply to because computer crashed before. And he realized, okay, whatever, I cannot deal with everything. I'm going to just focus on that. And that, the great thing that happened, hashes arrived, say, okay, okay, we'll help you now. And so we will then say, give me your list. I will do the, the rooster for who's on what buses and stuff like that. Yeah. And it's the first time I've seen that. People realize we're so happy to have a, even when we're physically there, we realize it's been helping to organize. We're going to help with whatever we can. And of course, it's really the same people, the number of chairmen for interim or for Eurohash who was doing registration for hours is the same phase because they know how much work is involved behind and they know to calm things down. And we even had Neptune sorting, repairing one toilet. <laughs> and every, <laughs> every chipped in, and that's why the weekend worked well. Otherwise, it would have been a disaster just by not by designer because of all the constraint of the pandemic. And the big surprise for him is that two weeks before the brewery to which he had paid uh, an account, uh, sorry, deposit a year before, told them they won't be able to deliver the beer because they were not sure if all the beer not drank and if they were brewing beer, what would they do with the leftovers? I didn't understand. You don't understand how there's some bullshit behind. Yeah. But being the Czech Republic, funding a brewery for 5,000 liters of beer is not too much of a big deal. Yeah. So it works. Wow. Well, you're not done. What's your role with Neptunus for the next Eurohash? You're a key figure now in, in the registration, at least. Yes, rumor has it. I see my name everywhere. <laughs> right. uh, what happened was interesting. Eurohash is always difficult to get bids. I would say every other year, you start with, we don't have any bidders. And that's on the Wednesday for the vote on, let's say, the Saturday. And this one was even more difficult because we didn't know who was coming. I guess perhaps people are not too keen on putting a bit because of, of the pandemic. According to him on the Wednesday, he realized that nobody was about to put a bit. And we even tried to tell people, why don't you put a bit in the little like, go away. On, on the evening, basically, there's, I think there's some people from Frankfurt region who tried to, it wasn't sure it was a skit or a fake bit or whatever, but and so Neptune has convinced himself that he had to save the trashing world and do another one. 
based on the fact, and I agree with him, that he already did three big events in that castle. So you yeah. know everything that can go wrong because they've been going wrong. <laughs> Every time he's improved a little bit. And then I felt like, okay, as he lost it completely. <laughs> so I told him on the, on the next day, I said, let's meet on Monday and talk about it. I went to one of those very nice Art Deco Cafe with nobody. And I say, no, you helped me so much for 2014. I'm willing to help you, but not at any cost. You know, your main problem is not delegating. You, you got a burnout for that before you had 2011. What have you learned? And then he said, and what did you put the bit? <laughs> and then I realized it was completely improvised. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I just, I just call like, I call the castle, I think on the Friday, say, could, um, could I book the place for that date? And they said, what? <laughs> he didn't even know the, the, the price at that time, but he knew he could rely on them. It's a family business. So, you know, everyone. And then we start designing, okay, what's, what's our limits? What can we do? What should we not do? What's the mistake certainly not to do? And I say, well, I got time now, so I could help you do the registration. But let's do it something completely different because same problem with the interim, you have so much of a demand. In the old days, it was uh, what venue, what size of venue do I want? Will I get 300 people, 500, 700? No, it's more like you open registration like with it and in seven minutes, all the tickets are gone. So we decided, it was thinking the party venue can have the party rooms, new party room, super duper, can have 1,000 people. And I said, yes, but you only have 400 bets. Something like that. And what we learned from the past, like, it's a bit like a Greek tragedy. You should have a unity of location. That's everyone on the same side. If team is walking distance, yes. One buses, one hour commute, people will stay, oh, I'm missing all the fun. So eventually you want to get more people and you end up with negative feedback. So we agree that we would, I would say, lock in at maximum 700 people. And then once we have a demand, trying to find all the accommodation. So three days before, and what we did, which I think completely new, we decided to stage the, the registration with different ways. So we said, okay, let's first invite the Eurohash, the chairmen of past Eurohash, and test the system to see if you know, the, the electronic system works. Then there's two things we wanted to do. First, give privacy to the people who couldn't attend Prague and couldn't resell their ticket neither. So maybe mm-hmm. you know, it was a point and I lost their money. So I gave priority with this one, which I think was mostly UK and Canada, what I remember. And then we decided also, because some people helped last minute in Prague, we say, let's give uh, another priority to the people who actually did the difficult job on the day. Sometimes, you know, improvising things. So by that time, we already had probably, I would say, 150 people sign up. And then we say, we, we could see a risk that, it was becoming another inter-hash or was actually becoming an inter-America hash, which is a bit more like what Prague was, which is not bad in itself. But like I say, do you want to keep the more European character of the Euro hash? Yeah. So we decided to try to track some GMs or big groups in Europe and say, okay, you got three days ahead to actually sign up for this event. And we didn't realize, we thought that they would tell their clubs, but most of them I don't think did. So anyway, and we invited a few of the regular travelers and that, that, that told us, no, if we can get in, we're going to help registration, whatever. So by the time we're about to open, we already have sold, uh, what is it, 350 registration ah. over, over like three weeks. So then we said, okay, we only have 100 left. So Neptunus pick his phone and say, I've run an extra, extra 50. There's another castle across the road. 
I could book it for a week, but maybe people will want to stay longer. So, so we had 500 tickets, but 350 were already already pre-booked. And then when we opened in seven minutes, 450 tickets went. And I think in 45 minutes, the waiting list of 200 people was full as well. So we're trying something different. And at least, at least for us, it worked well, because you don't have to process 500 question payments and everything. You know, in one or two days with people saying, I paid six hours ago. What's my confirmation? <laughs> at least for us, it made things easy. I'm thinking this people the bitch, but I would say whether it is or not, a lot of people have been disappointed. Like with, with 1,000 followers on the Facebook page and with 500 seats. So obviously the, the demand is bigger than the offer, but you know, that's what we've got to, to deal with. Yeah, it's amazing. Like you say, it's tough to get a bidder and it's often only one that gets sort of coerced into it. And yet the demand is through the roof. Yeah. But because we're still on a model of like, it's a volunteer putting his time for free. And you cannot expect a new generation who has to work the ass out just for a normal salary to do that on top. And the old people at one stage, you know, I want to take it easier. Yeah, I've done enough big weekends. It's your time. <laughs> it's your time. Yeah. You've been to 100 countries and all, all these continents. Are there places that you think could host an hash that have never been considered? Ooh, good question. Well, I know that I know New Zealand did once, and I think they're still planning to have a bit for Queenstown. Yeah. Their problem is they've been able to leave the country for a long time, so I guess their focus might not be on that right now. But the place that Evan hosted it. Well, there's talk about Turkey, Fethiye. Yes, uh, it's a one man bid. The, the first time we talked about it, it was for Eurohash. It ah. was 2017, Vienna. And we thought it was a skit because it said, I've got a bid for Eurohash. It's, it's sitting in that famous pose with legs across a, a chair, but then turn his back to the public. <laughs> so, so we thought it must be a joke. And he said, I was not sure it was a joke of a skit, so I tried it. And now it seems his idea is that he would like to bid for the world in hash. I think it's a bit of a stretch. <laughs> but Turkey would have places probably to do that. The problem at the moment is more like we will be welcome at the time it happens. You know, Turkey had a few political problems, I mean, stability political problem. Uh, we had a euro hash there, actually, we had two euro hashes there. Uh, that's worked well. I'm not sure if they have the capacity to have things that big. And then the question is by then, We'll be able to drink beers everywhere and the restriction no. for, for regions. We don't know. The answer might be yes. They're welcoming people, but then you always have the, the, the political red tape on top of that. A bit oh. like when, when I were talking about Bali being beer free and Bali no. said, if you do that, you, you kill all our revenues. So no. he's like, okay, we'll, we'll leave Bali to being no place for foreign to hang out. People talk about Africa at one stage and you know, there was this big bit from, uh, and, yeah. uh, and eventually what happened was I thought they have the space, but they don't have the, the logistics, the organization concept. I, I followed a bit for Kenya. Actually, I voted for them as well. And eventually I just managed time-wise and flight-wise to do Kenya before going to, where was it? Uh, Mombasa. Oh, oh, for Kuchin. Right. Yeah, yeah for Kenya. A lot of things went wrong, but they could solve it because there was no torrential downpour, one thing. And... <laughs> It was only 800 people. And uh, one of the main guys behind the bid, the father hand, told me, you know, it's good we lost because it, it could have been a disaster if we had to deal with even 2,000 people. Yeah. And then they realized that 
you know, there's the willingness to do that, but I guess, I guess they don't have the A, the organization skills or place big enough to organize it and people not coming last minute and trying to, to rip off the hash. Yeah, it's an interesting thing. It's similar sort of to Brussels, that good fortune to not have won the bid and the made the best of the event to keep it under 4,000 people, yeah. Oh, and that's where I've got uh, probably the best story behind behind the stage. So we told you that we realized that the number of buses we'll need will be huge. There's a few trails we can do by public transport, but still, you know, at the time, we're thinking about four or 5,000 people. So we ask around and we say, only one company to do that. They have enough buses if you give them one, two years notice. So we told the company and we say, okay, this weekend and say that weekend, usually quite weekend, no problem. Now, one thing I learned from Uran from Cyprus, he say, if you bring a big event and you want to deal with a company and that last minute, that company has a request from a huge customer or a regular customer, you always come number two oh. because you're just an exceptional revenue, but not the one you know, helping the company to live month by month, year by year. And that's exactly what happened. With this big electronic music festival, you're talking, I think, 70,000 people per day for two days that decided to have it a different day than usual. <laughs> and oh. that day, it was the same weekend than us. So I got a phone call from the, from the bus company that says, uh, we have a little issue. Could, could we come and talk to you? These guys never come to you. You go to them. So I welcome my small apartment and I say, what's the problem? And you say, oh, we have a big customer, regular, and it's Tomorrowland. And I thought, holy shit. Wow. <laughs> so the story is like, we know we talk about this amount of buses. We cannot provide all these buses when you want it. So they started saying, we actually, we need these buses to bring people who are staying all over Belgium to the festival site. So by 2 p.m., they should be available for you. Ah, so right. Yes. 2 p.m., no, we wouldn't finish the trail. So eventually we told what could be done. And I say, okay, could you provide us with 60% of the buses? Only for us all day. And they look around, number say 60% we can do. So at least I know that one was worse because the other option was like, we get all these buses at 2 p.m., but there's a major traffic jam on the highway and they're all blocked. <laughs> and it goes to trail, no risk factor. So eventually I told Rumpel, okay, we have this issue. I said, what? So the first thing we did, <laughs> we went to Ikea and we bought you know, those, those little candles you put on tables yeah. to, to warm the plates. And then we started doing the, the bus game. So we said, okay, we did, said, the only way we can do that is try to have more trails using public transport, but we're still limited. And the good thing at that time we knew it was only 2,500 people. And we're going to reuse a bus for two different trails. So we start with the candles, you know, the blue candles, the yellow candles. <laughs> this bus has left. Okay, people have been dropped in. The bus can come back, take hashes to the location. Then the bus come back to the first location to bring them back to the... You, you can see <laughs> it's... It's not as simple as you think, unless you're a computer programmer. And eventually we work out, yes, this is the bus number we have, and we have one too many, which ah. is good. If one breaks down, then we'll use it. Uh, we were using the company that we were paying for a bus coordinator who was a former bus driver who knows the bus driver of the company, but he never seen something like that, and his boss didn't agree with on that. Plus, one of the things you cannot plan Unfortunately, I think his grandma passed away a few days before. It was not into it. And, uh, and I told the girl organizing the trails, are you sure we'll be up to the job that day? Because it's something never done. And all that put together, the bus driver told me, it's can you see? What? Wow. 
But the buyer worked well, and eventually there was just enough leeway. Things worked well. <laughs> but it was really like, if we had 4,000 people, I uh, would have been in the shit. <laughs> we probably yeah. have to say, okay, you start walking from you know, this place to a park and hang out for two hours. I don't know. <laughs> Back on hashing, big events, small events. Have you ever had any personal uh, hash events where you've had run-ins with the police? We often have white powder events and things like that. Well, yeah, I think the first time there was an anthrax scale, it might be even the, the anthrax thing in the U.S., we were having a weekend in the Ardennes in the middle of nowhere. No, there's a TV. Nobody turned on TV. Uh, there might have been reception for mobile phone. And we laid trails. And then a week later, the GM got a phone call from the local police who says, oh, we need to talk to you. We'll come to see you. It's like under 50 kilometers drive, so half, half of the size of Belgium. And <laughs> they arrived and explained that some people watched the TV and so there was an anthrax scare somewhere in the U.S., and then they say white powder going through town. I, I use the word town is quite a small places. Mm. So they called the police who felt like, why, why are you annoying me on the Sunday <laughs> afternoon? And the police actually were quite smart and look and say, there's white substance here. There's another white there. Oh, there's a circle. So when they arrived at the GM, that the entire trail mapped with the false trails. And they say, we realized it was probably a game. <laughs> But, you know, politically correctness, whatever, we need to investigate and do a report to the Burgermeister. The first thing the GM said, can I have a copy of your map <laughs> for future use? And uh, they reported that it was just a group who was not aware of what's going on in, in this side of the world. We got an official letter from the Burgermeister saying, oh, no worries about that. Oh, that's an easy one. Yeah. Yeah, that was an easy one. Of all the stuff you've collected, you've collected T-shirts and all that stuff since you started and a lot on around the world. Is there any special hash memorabilia that is important to you? Well, I would say that probably 95% of my stuff, I know it's one of Neptune's hash museum, ah. which is a good way to make space where you are, uh, especially those when I don't fit into you know, the wrong colors and stuff like that. I, okay, I'm wearing right now my 2014 chairman color shirt. I think this one, I'll probably die in it. <laughs> <laughs> And besides that, there's some, what I did, I started a few years ago, and then I fed up everything to has. is I thought, actually, I'm keeping the T-shirt because when I sit, it brings back memory. So I started not scanning, but taking pictures of T-shirts and then donating. So eventually, I've got like my own little version of the hash online museum with pictures of my T-shirts. Mm. So like, oh, that was a great time in Cyprus. Then just looking at the design brings me back all the funny memories. Yeah. I wanted to ask you is about the future of hashing. Of course, the pandemic hasn't helped. We have Asia hashing where we have some, like Bandung still has four, five, six hundred people on their weekly hash. It's booming uh -huh. there. Asian, American, Western, Pacific hashes are aging. What about getting young people in? What do you think is the long-term future of hashing? Yeah, and that's also where we come back to earlier in the discussion about the difference between continents. I mean, from my experience, hashing in Asia is like it's a social activity. And especially in Indonesia, it's like if you're the gem, you're at the top of your social scale. Mm. So that's one there will be always be new people coming in because they want to be part of either a traveling crowd or of the local community. The one that I think is still developing a lot is in the US. When we look at the people who came to Prague, there's a lot of hashes I've never met before and mm. quite young as well, which is good because that means that's there's probably a new collective coming there 
although the spirits, are, I would say, it's a bit different. But yes, if you look at probably, I mean, for sure, Europe and probably as well Australia, basically, it's still the same people. <laughs> which means that we, we, we have difficulties recruiting new people. Now, we started a few years ago in a few places in Europe, including Brussels, to use Meetup, which is a platform for organizing whatever even. And it had some success. I think Copenhagen has cracked the code. You say, a lot of people we sign up and never showed up, okay? But then the one we showed and say, oh, it, it's all old farts. I know I'm 25 and people are 50. It's not my thing. And then at one stage, someone becomes, I'm having a good time. I don't care if people are older than me. Uh-huh. And once you have one like that, just one. The next time people come say, oh, I'm not the only young here. <laughs> and within six months, they managed to get 10 new hashes, all wow. between 25 and 35. Because the first one, attractive girl, the other one, attractive guy. And eventually people say, oh, I, I guess it's, it's a day when the young one are busy. <laughs> and they build up little by little. But it's very difficult. It takes time. And I would say there's no guarantee. Yeah. Budapest had success with that. With They had a very young GM who just hashed one place before he came in and started Meetup advertising it as a hike and doubled the membership of Budapest yeah. over a few months. But uh, what, what I've heard quite often, and I personally don't believe that's a reason. Say, oh, yeah, but you know, there's so many things to do in that city. I say there's always been a lot of things to do perhaps a little bit more, but I think it's more that you know, people are fear of missing out. So people, like at one stage, we had 1,000 people on the meetup group, and then we say, okay, how many people are, will turn up over a year? 50? So 5%? Mm-hmm. And then there's people who sign up the day before to come to the trail, and the next day, either oh, it's too wet, or it's not warm enough, or it's too warm, or <laughs> I do something else because a friend called me. So eventually, about 1,000, perhaps 10 say, I might come, three sign up, and like, they won't turn out. And I think it's more because people are so a bit brain scattered and they want to do everything. So there's not real focus. Let's try this thing. Let's try it twice. And if I don't like it, I do something else. And oh. then once in a while, in the end, perhaps over a year, we had 20 people who showed up, three liked it, two became regular, one's on the committee. So you would see that you need to have a, a huge you know, mass of potential, let's say, of prospects yeah. Eventually, people come on the hash, try it, and stay. But it's better than nothing. Sounds like a professional sports. How many people make it professional sports? How many kids need to play <laughs> need to play kickball on the playground to get a good national team? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, let, let's talk about hash history. Now, there is the Hash Heritage Foundation that you're at least somewhat familiar with. Yeah, they are. You know, it's headed in Malaysia with the where the mother hash is located. Neptunus has made a big inroad in making his hash originally T-shirt, but now it's a hash museum that will go to Malaysia. Do you think there's room or fitting to be hash museums and tributes and something around the world? Or does everything need to be in Malaysia? What What's the right thing? Because now we have had, we have a lot of people have been hashing for 30 and 40 and 50 years, and they're going to move on. And the memories are being preserved. Neptunus's effort is gigantic. But it, do you have any more ideas on what there's room for? Well, I know that at one stage, and I saw him just at the end when he was still active in Malaysia, I went to the, the Long Bites Lango Club and Bill Penton was there with the people. And he was starting to think about, no, I got all this paraphernalia souvenir, but I'm not a spring chicken anymore. What's going to happen? And at that time, I think the idea was to put in a hash house, which never really was built, I mean, those days. And eventually the idea was we were to put 
the full containers there and put this T-shirt inside, except that it's Malaysia. So unless you got 24-7 air conditioning, after three months, you know, the, the cotton T-shirt will have barely disappeared, turned mm -hmm. to nothing. When Neptunus came with this idea, he first started looking at Malaysia, but he didn't refine any support, which I can understand because you know, nobody knows him that well except one of two, and it's a big, big thing. So he started collecting T-shirts, at a museum in, I think, Amsterdam initially. I think Hardy Boy found a place down his road, say, there's a place that's the right size for what you want. The rent is cheap, but we don't have any sponsor. And Neptune decided, okay, I'm going to rent this place for a year with my own money and see how it goes. So actually, all the stuff out there, except that he arrived just before or during the lockdown, so they're still probably in boxes or whatever. And Neptune just wait for the first opportunity to go there and and officially opened the museum. It seems it's been progressing lately and is trying to also basically get people to help with the developing the hash house with the idea that eventually once it's it's physically there, it might put its museum there as well. But the question is like, it's, it's a nice project and I'm supporting him for that. Now in the 21st century, the question is there still a demand for physical memories and mm. who would be looking after, as you say, when all people of our generation are, are going to other places. Uh, but I definitely don't think it should be in one location because all we need is, you know, the committee, something happened with a committee, people have enough or they retire or they die or whatever, and there's nobody to keep you going. It might be more my IT expertise. It's always better to have different locations. And mm -hmm. if one goes down, you don't lose everything. So I think it would be, it would be nice to have one, perhaps per continent. But mm -hmm. again, that, that's a huge enterprise. It's not generating any money is more likely to cost money. So we're going to put this energy into that unless we find another Neptunus somewhere else. That occurred to me that I think there probably needs to be a U.S.-based one. Uh -huh. Maybe some cheap place down in Alabama or, or Tennessee or something. And some of these hashers that are not travelers and never leaving. And That's why I like what has it online with the, the T-shirt museum. Yeah. At least you can see from wherever you are. And I know it's not the same thing that's saying, oh, you know, that's the original T-shirt from that bit for whatever. Yeah, the Hash Heritage website ha has a lot of scanned documents, but so many missing. You can't even find the World Interhash programs all in one place. But they have two or three of them. I think the scanning, if I remember well, was paid by the leftover money from the card event. They took Bill Panton and what he had from Magic, and that's what was scanned. And they accept new stuff. Neil Campbell, like I sent him something from Cairo and scanned it and sent it to him, and he put it up there. So it's still possible to add but it's so thin there's not a big drive around it no i know selling a mail to all the hash around the world about hey if you have something interesting there's a repository there you can scan it yourself actually and then send it or upload it yeah. perhaps it's because hashing is mostly about being there and, and doing the trail and doing the socializing it's not about collecting things really and nobody will collect things thinking in 10 years this medal will be worth 20,000 euros. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> probably... That's a, you get it down on in the circle, yes. <laughs> that's a good point. Well, there'll probably be hash NFTs at some point. <laughs> <laughs> I may put some out there. That's one thing that's always surprised me in hashing. These people want to have a T-shirt, which is a, a souvenir from an even they didn't attend. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> And patches for places they haven't been. That's, that might be a question for the future of hashes as well. Will we keep producing T-shirts, which is a pain in the ass, because even if you ask from the same provider of T-shirts, 
and you have two batches and the sizes are different. Or perhaps at one stage, a hasher will get this brilliant idea to have a fabric that adapts to the body. Yeah. And we'll be a you know, billionaire and we'll, we'll live in space or whatever. <laughs> but that is always great. It's small. It doesn't go bad. You can put it on whatever you want. You can change it. So, If, if my heart would be as good as my memory, I'd be like professional marathon runner. <laughs> Yep. Thanks for the opportunity. Now I've, I've completed my hash career, I guess. Is the RA always right? Of course. Unless okay. it's wrong. <laughs> on, on. On, on. That completes a visit with Higgins. This is the On, On podcast. Hasher voices, hasher stories, hasher history. New episodes every week. Until next time, on, on. This is Ra. To close the circle. Here's the Hash Anthem, sung by Mother Hash. Swing low.